To listen to Memory Card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com memcard. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Jamatar. And this is Memory Card. As you may have noticed, Jamatar is back. He's back, baby. I'm back. For his third or uh, possibly fourth episode, if you count the special packs, you know, presentation that we did a while back. Yeah, it makes me feel important because I get to tell my friends, uh, oh, I'm recording a podcast tonight. <laughs> I feel like I've got it together in my life when I can tell people that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I have to tell my wife that constantly. <laughs> she she asks me what we're doing this week, you know, what plans we have. And I'm like, oh, well, I have to record, you know, 14 different podcasts <laughs> throughout the week <laughs> every night. So uh, don't plan anything. Uh, that might be a little bit of a point of annoyance at this point. <laughs> Too much podcasting. As long as you do them after dinner or before breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it's very early here in Indiana, so I, I haven't even eaten breakfast yet. So it's late here. Yeah, I just finished up playing um, V Rising with some friends, which is pretty fun. I uh, see. Yeah, and you know, people know that we record these episodes uh, a lot earlier than we actually post them, at least normally. So I just got done playing uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, which is fantastic, and uh, the game Neon White which is like a speed running shoot 'em up uh, game. It's really, really unique. I'm enjoying myself. I really want to play both of those. Um, I played the Turtles game a lot, like the arcade game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, I think uh, two houses ago, I bought an arcade machine and put Turtles on it. Nice. Uh, and it was very good. Yeah, this one's definitely, I would say, I mean, it might even be better than Turtles in Time. I'm not done with it, but they, they seem to have taken everything from the past games and kind of you know jumbled them together into a nice cohesive like adventure so it's certainly something you should look into yeah looks awesome sounds awesome too good music good music in those games yeah absolutely all right well jam should we uh get things rolling here yeah yeah we're here to talk about the atari links today oh well wait we got to play the the theme music oh wait (laughs) you're the you're the one you're the one who does it press the theme music button Okay, now that we have the theme music out of the way. So today we're talking about the Atari Lynx, which is a, um, a very early handheld console that I had when I was a kid. I didn't have it. My brother had it because mm. um, in uh, 1990, my parents bought me a Game Boy for my birthday. And because they didn't want my brother to feel bad, <laughs> they bought him an Atari Lynx as well. <laughs> uh, very, very lavish presents. And we were very, very lucky. But it was fun to compare them because they were two very, very uh, different consoles, but also very strange that they came out at the same time because the tech between them is so incredibly different, different design philosophies, different approaches to handheld gaming. And obviously we know which one won out (laughs) in the end. (laughs) Yeah, the Atari Lynx. Yeah, yeah, everyone's got one. (laughs) The Atari Lynx Advance and uh, yeah. (laughs) I don't think I realized that uh, you were older than me. 
Oh. Now that you're saying that you got a present in 1990, <laughs> I was like, I think I was like one and a half years old. Yeah, I, we don't like to talk about <laughs> how old I am. <laughs> Jam's actually like 60, 70 years old. It's crazy. <laughs> in 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 a few months, not a few, maybe like under half a year, I'm going to turn 40. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Horrible. I hate it. Yeah. Well, maybe I edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have to leave it in. Everyone's got to throw you some big birthday bash or something oh lord but it like a a real fun thing is that like i have talked to a lot of people my age and it was a very interesting time in gaming because it was um it was when all of these consoles really like launched and came out and it was the exact time when you know i was a kid and we we were experiencing these things for the first time Mm -hmm. um i always wonder what it is like for other people like much younger than me thinking about game boys and um and game gears and handhelds and uh, like the early consoles as well. Right. I mean, I was gifted a Game Boy when I was, gosh, probably four or five years old. Um, so, you know, in the early 90s, and that was my first console, I want to say. We had a Super Nintendo way back when, but I want to say we we had the Game Boys ahead of that. And, you know, it was a big deal. Played a lot of Tetris, and uh, there was some Mickey Mouse game that I really loved to play. Never got very far, but I, I feel like, in my world, at least, Game Boy has always been like the de facto handheld gaming system. There was nothing that could ever really compete. We had like those little Tiger Electronics. I don't know if you know those little LCD screen. Oh, yep. Yeah. Kind of like one off games. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I didn't know about the Atari Lynx until much later in life, like that it had even attempted to break into the market or anything. So this will be enlightening for me. Yeah. It's, it really floors me on the longevity of the Game Boy. And um, I remember when the Game Boy uh, Pocket came out and I was just like, it's still going. <laughs> and then they brought the Game Boy Color out. <laughs> it's the same hardware. It just has a bit of extra like boost with the color screen and, mm-hmm. you know, it, like a tiny bit of boost with the processing power, but still the same thing. It's like, it's still going. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what, 2000s when Game Boy Advance came out. It's like mm-hmm. uh, almost 11 years it, it reigned supreme <laughs> as the handheld at the time. And then they had all the different iterations of the Game Boy Advance. You had like the, the horizontal version and then you had the SP and you had the micro, which was wild in its own right. Yeah, I've got I, I've got nearly all of them. The micro is fun because it's just so small. <laughs> I can't play it. It's just too small, but it looks so cool. Like it, it's such a cool little console. So like the Atari Lynx as well. I, I think if you haven't seen one, it just might floor you how large the first one was it was just it's like two game boys put together it was it was a really really big system wow so the start of the history i guess i'll go into it the start of the history <laughs> of it was actually developed in 1987 so a couple of years before it came out and uh it was developed by a company called epics not yeah, epic games that we know now but a smaller developer epyx epics mm. And um, it was uh, two former Amiga developers. So they used to work for Amiga and they helped develop the Amiga and write software for the Amiga. RJ Mikkel and Dave Needle, who uh, were requested by one of the former managers at Amiga that maybe the next big thing would be a handheld. And this is before the NES sort of came out. This is still thinking about the age of gaming where you... We'd probably game on like a Commodore 64 mm-hmm. or an Amiga or an Atari or in, you know, in the UK, it was like Spectrums were out there as well. Right. 
And this is also kind of in that weird space between the video game crash in the United States of 1983 and the start of the NES, like you said. So they're they're kind of floating in these weird, like unknown, like waters. I would say at that time. Yeah. Like they don't know what's going to be the next big hit. Yeah, that's right. And they, you know, they were betting on the right direction, but they put a bet down, and um, Epic's actually went all in on developing the Lynx. Uh, which was <laughs> a bit detrimental to the company because they they basically made themselves bankrupt trying to develop this system. But they at the at the time they were like, "There's a gap in the market." You know, we we know that there's nothing out there. People are shifting away from these home computers and going to the next big thing. But they they didn't know uh, that the Game Boy was on the horizon. They didn't know that the NES was on the horizon. And so they just sort of like hedged a bet and. It was also at a time when um, electronic manufacturer was getting really cheap. So they could custom make the processes. They could custom make all these boards and mm. they had all these really huge ideas of what they wanted to do with it. And if you look at the hardware, one of my favorite games for the Atari Lynx is California Games. Came out in 1989 and on the NES came out in 1987. And if you compare the NES version to the Atari Lynx version, it's almost like a generation leap. It's like the next generation that's got 16-bit graphics, got like sprite scaling. It's got, hmm. it's, it just looks like a different era because the Atari Lynx was like designed from the ground up to be this like next gen amazing piece of hardware that was um, developed by these, these two very, very talented um, Amiga hardware and software designers. So uh, the console was um, codenamed The Handy Game. The Handy Game. Yeah, <laughs> so great. I think it was even, there was another code name I saw floating around. I don't know if this was a real one, but they called it the potato. <laughs> the potato. <laughs> Which I like. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. It kind of suits the the Atari Lynx one when it came out. It was very large. It was like a big potato. It's very curved. It's very, it's very chunky. I don't think I even knew that there was more than one iteration of the Lynx. Is there, how many different... Atari Lynxes are there. Yeah, there were two versions. Oh, okay. Um, and there were very, very small sort of hardware updates for, through the life cycle of it. I, I've seen rumors and I've seen screenshots of um, Lynxes that were made of metal. So aluminium chassis, and then they had plastic chassis, and then they have they shrunk it down a little bit um, to make it more efficient to build and ship and stuff. Mm. And that was the, uh, they called it the Atari Lynx 2. Very uh, inventive name there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should have gone with the potato too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was it was developed by Epix. It was um the hardware was all developed by Epix, but they, they ran out of money making it. Um they have financial difficulties and they really needed a partner to um to help get it off the ground. And so they um partnered with Atari, who said that they would handle the production and the marketing of the console. And then Epix could just work on the software and develop through that, and they could get the system off the ground. So it was branded mm -hmm. as the Atari Lynx. Now, is it called the Lynx, like spelled like it is, because Epix is kind of spelled in that weird way? Yeah, I think so. It's uh, L Y N X for anyone who doesn't know. Right. Uh, and the name came from the fact that you could link them together with a, a very special link cable, mm. which was kind of a selling point for it. So if you've ever linked up a Game Boy, you have that connector that can connect two Game Boys together. And if you ever want to go beyond that, you have to get, uh, they had a four expansion slot. It was kind of like the multi-taps that you would get for PlayStation where you could all plug into one thing. Mm. 
and then you could get like four Game Boys plugged in together, but you needed special hardware to do that. But the Atari Lynx actually had a um, a link cable called the Comlinx. The Comlinx? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a, a, a special technology that they like had built that was really easy. You could daisy chain them. And so you could actually plug in up to eight Lynxes together to play eight at once. Huh. Uh, and a lot of games actually supported multiplayer. There was only one game that supported eight players. But I, I think like the attraction was that you could do it. Um, and it was a really sell- like big selling point of the system. There was only one game to support eight players, and that game was called Todd's Adventure in Slime World. Todd's Adventure in Slime World. <laughs> a lot of Lynx games have really, really terrible names. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I love that. <laughs> All about terrible names. It's an interesting system because Nintendo and Sega did reign supreme a lot. And Nintendo with their consoles and Sega coming from all of their arcade games that they had made. But Atari and Epix came from a sort of brand new space. So they had a lot of like original IPs for this system. They had a lot of um, Atari games that were sort of converted over. And so they didn't have a lot of, you know, big ticket names, which was, I think, one of the reasons why they didn't really like take off because they didn't have that. That Mario, that that Sonic, that that un, like recognizable game that defined mm-hmm. that system. Even for Atari, they didn't really have like the big Atari games on there. I, I can't really think of any main Atari games. Like you were saying, w- with the whole crash of the video game system, Atari made all these really really cool games, and then they became really really uncool really really quickly. And so they tried to re-enter the console space, and Atari Lynx was like their entrance back into the space. And then they tried to to launch the Jaguar after that. And uh, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So they they actually, um, when Jaguar failed, Atari were just like, we're never making hardware ever again. And they just exited the hardware space. Yeah, they've had some serious ups and downs throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. They've like go- gone bankrupt multiple times and yeah. come back. <laughs> and I, I think actually now they're working in like casino stuff, I want to say, like gambling. Yeah, uh, gambling space is always a big space for a video game. Right. Uh, companies like Konami, it's like huge in the pachinko space and the right. and the slot machine space because it, it's just a big money maker. I, you know, when I was in Japan, we we walked by a lot of pachinko like parlors, and I they were just like so loud, and everyone's like smoking, and I was just yeah. like, you know, I'm good. I don't want to go in there. <laughs> but what if they had a did you see the Metal Gear Solid pachinko? Didn't that <laughs> make you want to gamble? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe if I'd seen it in the window or something. It was interesting because Epix is made from people who came from Amiga. And back then, Amiga and Atari were kind of nemesis. Mm. And when Epix went bankrupt, but they said, hey, we've got this system, we want to sell it. And Atari sort of swooped in and said, yeah, we'll make it for you. There is a lot of sort of anecdotal stuff out there about the deal not being very, very good. The fact that it was kind of an Epix console, but then Atari just sort of like took it and then took advantage of the fact that they were bankrupt Mm. to put it forward and slap their name on it. Also, (laughs) it's a bit of a um, FU. Dave Needle and RJ McKell went on to create the 3DO Panasonic 3DO, so they partnered. They they actually had a pretty rich post-development career after the Atari Lynx, but also to develop for the Atari Lynx, 
Atari had to buy Amiga software <laughs> and hardware so that they could develop for the system. So they, they sort of had to go to their competitor to like build <laughs> their own hardware, which is it's really, really confusing. So Because uh, Atari had Atari ST, which was like their main computer at the time, but Commodore had the Amiga and the Commodore 64. And so they were really big competitors, so it was really weird that they had to develop for the Atari on the Amiga stuff. Yeah, that's kind of wild that they had to like take a step back and work with their competitors, yeah. even though their competitors were technically bankrupt at the time. Yeah, 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 exactly. So did they did they actually, and you might not know this, but did they actually save them from bankruptcy or did they just say, oh, you're bankrupt, we'll take that off your hands for some money? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a kind of lost to the history part of it. Um, Epics didn't last long after the, the launch of the Atari Lynx. It wasn't very successful and they had to downsize quite considerably. And they kind of went from a company that was developing hardware and um, developing software to just a handful of people who were developing software for this sort of system that was dying out. And then they kind of split after that. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, it kind of was a tricky time, I think, for launching hardware as well because it was that boom that the nes came out the game boy came out the game gear came out even the turbo graphics as well came out all around the same time mm -hmm. here's a bit of uh maybe a, a trivia for you do you know what the best-selling consoles are and uh, handheld consoles and like what how they did so there were four main ones game boy game gear links and turbo graphics where, where do you reckon they're ranked? Of that era, you mean? Yeah, they, they all launched between um, 1989 and 1991. So I'm going to say the Game Boy was the top one. Yep. Okay. Um, and I really don't know how many. Uh, 89 million sold. 64 million. All right. Okay. Not as many. Maybe I'm trying. Maybe I'm factoring in uh, the pocket or the color or something. I think. I think it's sixty-four. They they like count them all together, so it's actually like super successful. But they they like rebooted it three times. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, yeah, those are all the same system essentially. Okay. Um, then I would say the Game Gear. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Would be second, and then whatever the other one was, and then Atari Lynx last. Yeah, it's actually Lynx was third. Oh, okay. And the Turbo Graphics, which was was it called the PC Engine in the US, or was it called Turbo Graphics in the US? This console, it was a very very vague console. Is are we talking about a console? Or are we talking about a handheld? It was both. So they brought out. I think it was PC Engine was the name in Japan, and then mm -hmm. uh, when they brought it to the US, it was called Turbo Graphics. And they brought out a portable version of it, which right. was basically the same console, but just shrunk down to a portable form factor and tried to launch it. I don't think I knew that. We need to have the TurboGrafx PC Engine uh, episode here too, I guess. <laughs> I've never actually played one before. It's one of my, it's, one, it's on my list of handhelds that I really wanted to play because I remember seeing ads for it and it looked amazing. Oh yeah. I found a, I found a picture of it. It almost looks like it's like a walkie talkie. <laughs> yeah, it looks a lot more Game Boy-ish than, um, than the Lynx or the Game Gear. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like that vertical form factor. Evil Game Boy or like yeah. the, the Game yeah. Boy that Batman would pull out. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. So interestingly, the way that the systems are ranked, I mean, not so interestingly, is exactly by their price. So Game Boy was the cheapest. It was 90 US uh, at launch. Mm. Uh, the Game Gear was 150 uh, US at launch. The Lynx was 180 at launch, and the Turbo Graphics was 250 uh, US at launch. Jeez, 
That's so much more with the with inflation. Good lord, yeah. that's like got to be like around four hundred dollars. I actually calculated all of them, uh, which because I, I I was really interesting to interested to know this because um, I think like a lot of people, I was a kid and my parents bought these systems for us. So the Game Boy adjusted for inflation was about two hundred US dollars at launch. Mm-hmm. The Game Gear was about three hundred thirty dollars US at launch, adjusted for inflation. Ooh. The Lynx was about four hundred US at launch. Oh my god! And the Turbo Graphics was five hundred sixty dollars at launch. Jeez. Yeah. Gosh. So Game Gear was like a switch, I guess. Yeah, you could think of it like that, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, four hundred bucks on a console. I don't know if I would. Ooh. I would slap that down. <laughs> Not on a handheld. I guess for a launch console, yeah. The, a, a lot of the handhelds, the prices dropped, and I think that's why Game Boy stayed really competitive because that price went straight down. Right. Um, you know, pretty soon after launch, even the links I saw it being advertised for about ninety US, which mm. is, I guess, that's about two hundred bucks. You know, only maybe six to twelve months after into its life cycle. We're gonna put things on a pause for a moment to hear a word from our sponsors, Memory Card. That's us. That's right. We're our own sponsor. And if you'd like to support us, you can leave a four or five star review on the podcasting platform of your choice or follow us on Twitter at MemCardShow. But Ben, what about our fantastic patrons? Of course, of course. In fact, our wonderful patrons over at Patreon are really what make this show possible. And if you are feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com slash memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shout-outs, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. What's our sticker for this season, Push? Well, since it's our eighth season, we actually have this wonderful little robot, Octorok. And it was actually illustrated by my friend, uh, Midoribin. You can follow her on Twitter at... Midori Bin underscore art. Very cool. Eight legs for eight seasons. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's go ahead and get back to the show. Links didn't last long. It was out from uh, 1989 to 1995, which I guess is six years. That's pretty long. It's not bad. Yeah. But it, it, the sales dropped like really, really quickly. And I think by 1995, like that's, that's, we're getting into PlayStation. Uh, Sega Saturn right. timelines there, so um, that was the reason why they dropped it as well, because um, Atari wanted to move on to the Jaguar launch. That it failed <laughs> because it had to go up against the the Sega Saturn and the, the PlayStation, and we all know who won out of that. Yeah, Sega Saturn <laughs> in Japan, maybe. <laughs> Sega Saturn was like shockingly did shockingly well in Japan, and then like everywhere else, it kind of just completely bombed. Hmm. Not not through the fault of, you know, uh, Sega. I mean, well, I guess Sega of America, like, launched it, you know, suddenly. Yeah. Uh, one thing I love about going back and looking at all these systems is just how cool they look. Like, the Saturn looks awesome. The Lynx 2, especially, looked really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Turbo Graphics looked awesome as well. Some of them look great. Some of them don't look so good. Like, the 3DO looks very, <laughs> very bad. Looks like a VCR. Uh, it's very boxy. Yeah. So... Atari Lynx, it was the first backlit and color handheld on the market. Um, and it, it only launched a little while after the Game Boy launched as well. So um, I think Game Boy came out in 1989 and Lynx um, was 1989 in the US 
and in Europe and Japan came out in 1990. Did it uh, gobble up batteries like the Game Gear did? Yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of these old systems and portable televisions at the time as well, uh, for the backlighting, LEDs was just not a thing. They actually had tiny fluorescent tubes inside them. And for the Atari Lynx, they couldn't make their own panels. So they actually had to purchase uh, their panels from um, a TV manufacturer that made tiny TVs as well. So the reason why Game Gear and Lynx would chew batteries is you basically powering a tiny fluorescent. <laughs> and if you ever see like a picture of someone opening one up, you'll see it. It just looks like a tiny little tube that's like strapped to the back of a screen. It's it's wild. Hmm. So yeah, six six AA batteries. It would last a little bit longer than Game Gear, but not like <laughs> competitively so. Maybe like half an hour <laughs> longer. Uh, the Lynx 2 did a little bit better, but still, like six hours out of six AA batteries, <laughs> that's not enough. Oof. Yeah. And like 100%, if you grab some of this old hardware, I don't know what the Game Gear is like because I've never really sort of sat down and played with one. But the Game Boy, you turn it on and in like 10 seconds, you're playing a game. Mm-hmm. The Lynx was pretty slow to boot up mm. um, because it was sort of written by these uh, these developers that had come from that old hardware world. The console actually shows you a loading screen before um, it loads the game. So if you're playing California games, it'll show you, you know, a license plate says California games on it, and then it'll get into the game. And what it's doing is it's copying everything off the cartridge to the system and loading it into RAM because it can't stream the game directly <laughs> off the cartridge. So you actually have like a loading time for every single game. Wow. That's like, it can be like five, 10 seconds, which is just like extra time. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's money when you've got batteries in the back of it. <laughs> So yeah, it, it wasn't really like a pick up and go console because a lot of the games weren't developed with that mindset, like the Game Boy, where you you know have fast puzzle games or games you could just get going. Mm-hmm. You know, you turn on Super Mario Land, you turn it on, and in like five seconds you're jumping with Mario. There weren't any games like that with the Links. It was just like you have, it was a real console kind of experience, huh. uh, but in a handheld. Yeah, the Game Gear. My my grandpa actually had a Game Gear. He was like he kind of went back and forth being into gaming and and not he had a playstation and he had a game gear those were his two things and uh whenever we would go visit them we would uh, play the game gear there's a jurassic park game that we liked a lot and there was a sonic game it it booted up pretty quick i would say like just like the game boy and you know had that very vibrant color screen which was cool yeah you can um you can go and mod all those systems with LED backlights now, and um, apparently it will double the battery life because it's that fluorescent was like the main sink mm-hmm. in uh, in the batteries. Yeah, the Lynx was a very interesting design because it came from a sort of unique like design philosophy that wasn't drawing on old consoles. So uh, it was kind of like the Wonderswan, where it has two sets of but- buttons on the top and the bottom, so you can flip the D-pad between left and handed and right handed. Hmm. It also had like an, it had a pause button and an option one button and an option two button. So you actually had five buttons to use in games. It was pretty fun. And uh, it had an eight bit CPU and a 16 bit maths kind of uh, graphics GPU. And they had names. Can you guess the names of these? Uh, they're pretty regular names. <laughs> But apparently Amiga used to name all of their chips. So the CPU had a name and the GPU had a name. Okay. Now, pretty regular, like, people names. Yep. Uh, Greg, Carl. <laughs> Greg and Carl. One's a, one's a boy's name and one's a girl's name. Uh, Amelia, uh, Mary, 
I don't know. Give me, give me, uh, give me some letters that they start with. Uh, okay, one starts with M, one starts with S. Oh, which one's the boys' one? Uh, the CPU starts with M. M. Uh, Mark. That's close. It was Mikey. Oh, perfect. Hey, that's the name of the editor uh, on our podcast now. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> Mikey, you made it. Hey, Mikey! Nice. You're a CPU, an 8-bit CPU. <laughs> and the 16-bit CMOS graphics uh, chip. Uh, S- Stephanie. It was Susie. Susie. Oh, so close. And Susie handled all of the math and sprite processing. Um, and it was 16-bit, which was like insanely powerful for the time 1989 um it could do uh sprite um transforming so i don't know if you're very familiar with sort of the neo geo stuff and the later sort of snes stuff where you, like yoshi's island where you suddenly you know the sprites like spinning around and getting big and small and getting squished mm-hmm. that's all like advanced sort of mass processing that's having to take images and then do um, image transforms on them. Right. This thing was doing that in 1989. So if you wow. if you like play some of the games, you'll just be blown away by the graphics. Yeah. I'll talk about some of my favorite games towards the end. Um, but the uh, the number one, if you ever want to test out like a Lynx game, um, one called Blue Lightning. It's kind of like an afterburner clone, but the the pseudo 3D that it's doing in 1989 is just bananas insane this is like <laughs> tetris came out and then this came out and this thing is playing like arcade quality afterburner in your hands it's it's mind-blowing it, it was really really impressive stuff hmm. uh, and they they custom designed all these chips they custom designed the um audio processor so the game boy had like beeps and boops and square waveforms this thing could have four channels of digi- digital audio running at once which is um it's it's pretty impressive for the time. I think um, like NES could only have one channel. Yeah. Uh, so like if you're playing like Mario Two, the toms and the drums on one channel was like you could do that on every channel on the links. Wow, it's pretty advanced. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not sure if it was hard to develop for, but I imagine that it was very very specialized. And uh, a lot of the early launch games were developed by Epics, uh, and then um, they had quite a few third parties come on board later on but the mm. game library wasn't super big so have a guess how many games came out on the atari Lynx versus how many games do you think came out on the game boy in its life cycle okay um atari Lynx had 86 games oh so close 76 oh wow that was really close <laughs> was, yeah. and okay. the game boy we're talking like color as well uh just the original game boy all right uh, just, uh d- 240 it had a thousand over a thousand games on the game what a thousand (laughs) yeah that's nuts it is absolutely nuts but yeah the game boy went for a long long time and i think that's 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 it just had so many games so many developers developing for it so yeah the the links only had 76 and um a handful of them were made by epics and they're kind of my favorite games um a handful were made by atari and um quite a few were made by third parties but I would describe the library of games as kind of meh. <laughs> I reckon there's the there's, yeah overall yeah not the, great. There's a couple of like really really good games, some of my favorite games, but a lot of them are just like you boot them up and you're like, what is what is this? <laughs> there's the worst <laughs> Batman game, Batman Returns. Um, it has the best review for the soundtrack. So a reviewer described um, the soundtrack to Batman Returns as sounding like uh, an open pair of trousers in the wind. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? I think it's just, is, that, is that good or bad? It's very, very bad. <laughs> it was just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think with like a lot of these consoles as well, if you aren't very good at making music for the specific chips and the sounds that they make, if you don't, it's like giving a musician, you know, a palette of instruments that they're not, you know, they don't gel with. You get really bad music. And the same happened for Game Boy as well. It had a very distinctive sound chip though, and it had four channels of waveforms and they had preset waveforms. So you just choose what instrument you want. Huh. And they, if you ever play Link's, for a while you start hearing the sounds and it's 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 very interesting the kind of instruments and timbres that you get it's very like organy or kind of fantasy sounding like some of my favorite games like kind of fluty yeah gauntlet is like one of my favorite games on that it's got a really good soundtrack and it's it's using those it just doesn't sound like any other system so what are some of your favorite games so i've got four games that i really remember quite vividly and i still kind of play on emulators my favorite game is california games uh, and i'm not like a big fan of california games because it came out on a lot of different systems um and i think the nes version was probably the most popular but it was it was really good because that's an epics game so they they developed they developed that for the nes mm-hmm. and i think that they were really kind of not happy with how Nintendo was kind of like a walled garden and it was really hard to develop for. They had a lot of rules. And that was one of the reasons why they wanted to go and make their own video game system. They wanted to have all this freedom and open source, you know, well, not open source, but, you know, being able to have a lot of more creative freedom. And so they made like a custom version of California games. So it's not just a port, it's like built from the ground up specifically for the system, for the hardware. So it does all this really cool, awesome stuff like the, um surfing game in particular is like super super fluid it's really really fun they've got half pipe skateboarding which does all this like camera zooms in and outs oh wow uh bmx so you can like do like bike flips and stuff and it's using all of the scaling and the the math stuff and uh fun fact the tv ad for california games had a little kid playing it in school and he takes it into the bathroom and he plays it uh and that kid is toby mcguire from spider-man hey mr block can I go to the bathroom? Oh, man, I thought you were going to say it was you. Oh, I was <laughs> excited there for a second. <laughs> like, no wonder. And then I went up to do Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so the NES, like, California games came out in 1987, and then the um, California games for Atari Lynx came out in 1989. And if you put them side by side, it's like you're looking at, like, uh, a different generation of games. Like, the, hmm. the graphics, the smoothness, the, like fluidity of it it just looks completely different yeah and I, i'm i've sent a screenshot to ben as well because i i really love california games i play it a lot but um i don't know anyone else who plays it and i i reckon i have a pretty good high score in surfing and i want to put out a challenge to all the listeners <laughs> if you have an atari Lynx or you want to boot up an emulator try and beat this high score and i got it today actually as i was like doing some more testing <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll just boot it up again. And I like got the highest score that I ever got. I want to see if that's a good score or not. It's 6,725. If you can beat that score in surfing at me at Twitter. Are you putting something on the line here? Is there a reward of some kind? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Firm if you, handshake. If you, if you beat the score, I'll send you a digital download to like all of my tracks on Bandcamp. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very cool. So add me on Twitter if you can beat it. I really want to see because I, I just don't know. <laughs> am I good at this game or have <laughs> I just been playing it for like 30 years? And <laughs> I, I, I think that I'm good, but I'm not. <laughs> we'll find out. And the next game that I really love is Gauntlet. And it's called Gauntlet the Third Encounter. And it's not Gauntlet 3, but it came out 
at the time that Gauntlet 3 should come out. And I think they just wanted to make like a, a weird like side version of Gauntlet. Do you know, have you familiar with the Gauntlet games? I feel like I have played some of them back in like the Nintendo 64 days. Yeah. But the, it's been a long time. They were like really sort of like the earliest form of like dungeon crawl games where you had like four adventurers and it was kind of like very, very D and D you had an elf, you had a wizard, you had a warrior and a Valkyrie. And, um, you just sort of go through a maze and shoot dudes, uh, and get treasure and, and get food. So it was like super, super basic. And then they sort of made it more and more elaborate as they came out, but that it was very, very iconic, uh, arcade game as well. So this version of it is, it's like pretty faithful to the arcade, but it adds a lot of stuff that I really like that isn't in any of the other games. Hmm. So <laughs> the original games, yeah, had those four, you know, basic final um, fantasy characters, but then, um, this one, they just decided to go buck wild. They added extra characters. So you've got the samurai. There's also a gunfighter, which is like a cowboy. <laughs> there's a pirate. There's a, a punk rocker, which is just like what? a person with a mohawk. Okay. There's an android, which is a weird like egg robot. And my favorite is uh, the character called the nerd, which is just the nerd. Uh, a guy. This <laughs> is the guy holding a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's who you want. See you want on your team. <laughs> they all had stats. Uh, I think the nerd was like, oh, it's hard mode because his stats are really low. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's like really weak. He's no good at magic. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty fun. You can um, you can link up the linkses together and like play like four player, like the arcade as well. It's a, a game that you hold in vertical format. So you actually like have to like side links and you can put the D-pad at the top of the bottom so you can flip the screen around and like work out what's more comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the links were so big, it was kind of like not too bad. I've been playing it on an emulator on my PS Vita and um, it's pretty uncomfortable <laughs> to play it vertically. But yeah, it's, it's a cool version of that game. I really, really like it. The next game that I really like is, uh, this is a really good name. It's The Gates of Zendikon, <laughs> which sounds like a fake made up game. Sounds like the name of your next album. That's what you should call it. Actually, I should actually really <laughs> call, call it this. It's, it, it was a launch title and it's um, another one of those games where Epics just wanted to show up their chops. They wanted to show off the the capabilities of the system. So it's a side-scroller shooter, like R-type type game, mm-hmm. but it looks awesome. Like it looks amazing. So the, the Game Boy, when it came out, it has four shades of gray that it can do. And the um, Lynx, when it comes out, it can display 16 simultaneous colors, but it can run through a palette of like 4,000 colors. Wow. Uh, so it means that you can like palette shift, like do rainbow rolls of like of palettes and your games just suddenly look amazing. So Gates of Zenicon did a lot of that and had like lots of like rainbow effects stuff going through special effects with like the bosses and the enemies and stuff. So it looks amazing and the, um, does this sprite scaly stuff. So all of the, the enemies kind of look really fluid and, um, and move around a lot. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of take on that side scroller shooter game. It's not like any other side scroller shooter game I'd played and sort of comes, comes from a, a period where I guess these developers just want to show off their chops and they had nothing prior to like go off. It was like brand new territory. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very unique sort of take on that genre. Yeah. It sounds interesting. Yeah. And uh, I, the last one I like um, is called uh, Xenophobe, which is a pretty like poor name <laughs> these days, but it's like, it's, it's about um, uh, 
uh, clearing uh, space stations and ships from alien infestations. So you have these like green slug aliens that like inf- infect the whole ship, and you have to go through and move it through it room by room and shoot them all. Oh, okay. For some reason, I was thinking it was going to be like a puzzle game. Yeah, <laughs> there weren't actually many puzzle games for for the links, which I think is it, it's I, it feels like. Uh, the Game Boy was like so basic. So they were like puzzle games, easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like also the most fun game to sort of sit down and play. Right. But with the links, you're like, you've got so much power and hardware. It seems like a waste to like, you know, make a Tetris for this for this system. You want to be as flashy as possible. So a lot of the games are just trying to like show off and um, be really, really impressive, which I, it's kind of cool, but also a bit too much sometimes because you get camera that zooms in and out for no reason and and like palettes of colors that are just like going all over the place yeah just want to show off what it can do yeah but xenophobe xenophobe was really fun it's kind of um they're just like not like any other games i can't describe what this game is like maybe like an early uh, genesis game or something like that it's just like really really fun sort of take on the genre you get different weapons you get different items uh items do different things lots of hidden things you can like walk up to computers and use them a lot of stuff from the really like amstrad amiga uh, commodore 64 era type games brought over Mm. to a console game and it kind of i think after atari links sort of died off and those game developers moved out of the scene it sort of went you know more to Sega and Nintendo, and you sort of lost all of that old gaming style uh, that you just don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people can, can sort of connect to that, but, you know, growing up on Commodore and Amiga and Atari and Amstrad, it's a different it's different genre of gaming, different time. Well, I mean, I've never played any of those games. I don't think I've ever picked up an Atari Lynx before. The only time that we've really talked about it on uh, Memory Card was when we talked about the Marlboro special edition uh, one that would like promoted smoking and <laughs> got them in a little bit of hot water. <laughs> yeah, I looked that one up. It was the Marlboro Adventure Team. Have you heard of this? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> this was uh, Alice was laughing because I was just sitting at my computer, like just <laughs> cackling. <laughs> well, and it had it had that game that was like uh, it was like Marlboro Go. Yeah. That was you know like dirt bikes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We we covered it. I think on one of gosh, it might have been season one when we talked about like special edition consoles. <laughs> I just I love the ad for it because Marlboro Marlboro Adventure Team were like a team of athletes that just love smoking and like promoted. You know, they got a motorbike with a cigarette. <laughs> I don't actually need to be in shape for this. Yeah, yeah. I'm just riding a bike. Exactly, yeah. It was the, It's the only limited edition console that you had to kill yourself to get because you had to send in cigarette <laughs> packets to, to try and get this limited edition <laughs> red links. You get the Marlboro special edition links and you get, you know, lung cancer at the same time. Yeah. It's a, it's a bad deal, but if you want, <laughs> if you want to collect them all, you got to be dedicated. <laughs> it's probably the worst console you could get lung cancer for, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks, Jam. Thanks for coming on, telling us about the links. I know you were a little concerned that you weren't going to have enough information, but we're I think we're like pushing 45, 50 minutes now. So obviously there was plenty to talk about. Yeah, please do a lot of heavy cutting. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that uh, you've got in the works right now or anything that you'd like to promote? Not at the moment. I think I'll have an EP uh, towards the end of the year. I'm like planning on 
putting something together. It's like in lots of little bits on my computer and I just sort of have to get some time to to sit down and um, and put it together. But hopefully, yeah, at the end of the year, something. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be on the lookout. And uh, if that drops before this episode, we can, uh, you know, uh, link it here and, and tweet it out and make sure that everybody sees it and, and hears it. So thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it, Jim. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. This episode and every episode in Season 8 was edited by audio superstar Mikey Yankovich. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or you can visit our website, memorycardshow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. These people include Jackson Bertoli, Courtney Cotton, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Shala, Sandra L., Nick Callis, Jaehoon Jeong, Sean Marafini, Joseph Bayer, and Brock Delabru. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.